CoinRobe Plus is your new way to collect. Manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins, and much more. Learn more about CoinRobe Plus at CoinRobePlus.com or download the app now at Google Play or the App Store. Welcome to the CoinRobe Podcast with your host, Jeff Stark. And as I've said from day one of this show, this is a big tent hobby. There's a lot of room for folks. And Larry Jewett. And learning has been such a tremendous amount of this journey. The Coin World Podcast. The Coin World Podcast is back for another episode. We are going to have some great fun exploring the world of world paper money this episode, as well as the usual array of uh, historical tidbits of information. I'm Jeff Stark. And I'm Larry Jewett. And I always enjoy uh, meeting and talking to some of the individuals who are connected with this hobby and thinking about some of the things. But uh, today's episode is something that I really got a great enjoyment out of because right off the bat in uh, speaking with our guests, I really got a good feeling about what he's doing with numismatics and what it's doing uh, as far as helping some of us who have kind of diverse interests. So it's uh, hopefully it's going to be one that has the opportunity for you to get as much enjoyment out of. We thank you for continuing to listen, continuing to be a part of our presentation here. And we hope that you're enjoying the journey as much as we are. Speaking of journeys, aren't you about to take another one? Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, you, you know, I wasn't content to just go to the ANA's Midwinter or National Money Show, as it's called now, uh, in Phoenix, I am going to the Numismata in Munich. This is the first time the show will have been held since 2019. There was an event scheduled for 2020. I was supposed to go to that, and it got canceled the night before. I, I won't say wisely, but in consultation with um, my boss, we decided that eh, several days before the trip to cancel my attendance, uh, just because of the then unfolding novel coronavirus pandemic. And of course, here we are three years later, we're all very well aware of what happened. And uh, so I'm ready to go back um, to Germany. I was just there in Berlin. This is in Munich. Uh, they do, Numismata has been in Berlin Munich, Frankfurt, and Vienna, and so far, uh, I don't think there's, um, I don't think they're ever going back to Vienna. That was canceled before the pandemic. Just, I, I think the show just was a, a tough go. I'm not sure if they're going to have one in Berlin or Frankfurt, but certainly the Munich show has been and is expected to be uh, a big show, not like the World Money Fair in the sense of all the hoopla with the World Mints and everything, but from a more collector-oriented, academic-oriented, when you talk about more ancient coins, that kind of thing. Uh, Munich is the center of the ancient coin market in Germany. So uh, I'm I'm really excited to be uh, to be going there and um, yeah, take a little vacation and, and see some sites in Germany, maybe get to the BMW Museum that's in there in Bavaria. Um, yeah, who knows? So that's that's uh, what's on the tap uh, on tap for me. Uh, well, well, hopefully before you go through all that, you take advantage of the fact that we are once again at Coin World 
doing our most influential, and we're calling upon our readers to uh, cast their ballots to who they should, uh, who they consider to be influential in the hobby. And uh, unfortunately, this year, neither you or I are on the ballot, but that's, you know, that all things in time here. But we have several hundred names for persons to take a look at and to consider as to who will be the uh, ultimate ones that will be publicized in our uh, most influential uh, 2023 edition. This will be our third edition. This will be the second standalone edition. Last year was part of the Coin World Annual. And we expect to uh, be announcing and uh, revealing uh, who we have coming up in late April and uh, right around the time of the Central States Numismatic Society show. But a lot of work has to be done between now and then, and some of that work falls upon you, the listeners and the Coin World readers, as to make your determinations. And you don't have to justify your choice. And, uh, you know, the, some of them, you know, are self-explanatory. We expect to see some of the names back once again, but we expect to see several of the new names. But what's important is that you have your say in this. And we welcome the opportunity for you to uh, go ahead and cast your ballots. There's no limitation on how many you can vote on. We're not asking you to limit to five or 10 or 12 or 15. If you want to hit select all, well, that isn't a good idea. But, you know, just the idea, you can pick one, two, 10, whatever the case may be, and uh, have your say in there. And we'll see how it all falls down when it comes to that. So, again, just the opportunity for you to be part of the Coin World special publication that we have, one of uh, Many we have planned. We already have our dealer directory out there that many have picked up at uh, those past shows, and we'll probably be able to pick them up at the National Money Show out in Phoenix as well. Jake's going to be there, I know. So uh, we just invite you to be a part of it here because this is all about the connection, all about the community, and we appreciate uh, the past, the past support you've given us and hope that you'll continue to do the same. So make sure you put that on your to-do list before you jump on the big bird and go across the pond. If nominated, I will not run. If elected, I will not serve. <laughs> it, it's just a privilege to be nominated. You you mentioned uh, uh, that we're not on there, which is fine. Uh, our uh, maybe another. I've, I've been doing this 19 years now. Maybe in, after another 19, I might have made a drop of difference, and and you the same. So. Um, well, I figure if Paul's not on there, then none of us deserve to be absolutely. on there because, yeah, Paul, Paul, Paul Jokes was a numismatic ambassador who received that award. I was privileged to receive the award on his behalf at the fun show. And I mean, that's the guy when his name appears there, then the rest of us have an opportunity. But his name's not on there right now because he continues to be very, very active in the game. And it looks like, I mean, we'd all vote for him several times and then it would look really bad. So we don't want it to look bad. No. no. For sure. So, yeah, uh, check that out, folks. The voting runs uh, several weeks, I think you said. And um, so there'll, there'll be there'll be a chance to uh, leave your mark, uh, stuff the ballot, vote early, vote often, all that, uh, all that jazz. So there you go. Uh, uh, anyway, without further ado, I think it's time to go back in time. Uh, one of the uh, this is. Uh, this is not a leap year. Uh, we are an odd year this year, 2023, but I want to go back to a leap year. So, of course, I mean February 29th. What happened on February 29th, 1944 specifically? That was when the export license was granted to Egyptian King Farouk 
for a 1933 St. Gaudens gold $20 double eagle. Aha. How many times have we talked about that coin on this program? Several. And it's the stuff uh, of which dreams are made. I will say my uh, my attendance at the World Coin Club of Missouri meeting a few weeks ago, that particular coin tripped me up because I was in a hurry. And the trivia question for the March's meeting was a trivia question. Uh, a trivia game was the topic of the meeting instead of having somebody talking about something. And they asked for the price that it sold the first time it sold in you know in 2002 and i put down the price that it sold in 2020 was it 2020 21 i think it's 21 21 yeah so i was i was rushing because oh you know you've only got 20 minutes and there's um you know you got to hurry 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 and and i did not read the question carefully enough and that tripped me up so um, I knew the answer if I had read the question properly, and have if had I done that, I would have um, tied my good friend Dave for second. But in any event, <laughs> well, that that is a common problem when it comes to questions. You have to look at all the words because sometimes you 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 know your mind will go ahead and fill in the blank blanks. Think they're asking for the first to do something, and it's the first to do something under a certain circumstance. So you have to listen to all the words. In this case, the date was the trip up. But there are several times when you're trying to ask a question. Sometimes they try to be tricky about it. Sometimes they don't. They just try to be pretty straightforward, but you don't hear the entire question, and then you come to the wrong conclusion. So. Yeah. 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 You're you're common in that. So you're I mean, you're just the standard date when it comes to that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's fairly typical, I guess, for people to the, the mistake I made is common, but it's still I feel unforgivable <laughs> because I should I knew it. I There was another one like that. Oh, I, I put the um, I put the answer to the question on the question below and somehow skipped an answer. Again, just in haste, and I would have gotten both of those two questions right, but in any event, <laughs> yeah, uh, th that's how life goes. Uh, what's interesting, though, you know, we, we look back in time and uh, always get a chance to explore a past issue of Coin World. Uh, we want to go to the March 1st, 1989 issue, 1989. Uh, for this week in Coin World history, uh, was because our interview subject, Benjamin Swaggerty, uh, he told us after recording, wish could have got this on the full recording, uh, how he was privileged to visit the Mint, presumably Denver, uh, when he was out in uh, uh, when he was out in uh, Colorado Springs. Springs, yes, for the yeah. summer seminar. And he got to see a Congress bicentennial commemorative coin being struck, and uh, he and several others on that trip. And interestingly, they got to see a multiple strike die cap uh, error made, created from the, the press striking several times and and the planchet not being ejected. And um, <laughs> someone at, at the mint was misinformed and told all these you know I, I would say somebody who's attending a summer seminar while maybe they don't 
have the knowledge that somebody who's been in the hobby for 30 years has. They they certainly are well on their way to knowing quite a bit about the hobby. They they knew that this person was wrong. This person told them that uh, it wouldn't be worth anything because it was not created correctly. Uh, they tried to get that error and were unsuccessful, uh, but they did get to have a little bit of numismatic revenge, as it were, by uh, using mint metals. The, there was a strike-your-own mint metal press and engaging in some fun little shenanigans with that as far as, you know, putting putting foreign, foreign objects in with the uh, the metals and and uh, I think he said even making an, an error version, a multiple strike or something like that, strike over error. Anyway, um, we um, we'll have a great discussion with uh, Benjamin here in a little bit about World Banknotes and his YouTube channel. But I found it curious that this week in CoinWorld, May, uh, March 1st, 1989, the, the coverage on the main page, front page, is all about Pikes Peak or bust. The ANA Midwinter, that was that's what it was called then, returns to Colorado Springs, and they talk about how the story of how the ANA finally found a new home, how they landed in Colorado Springs, and then also explaining how the ANA home site was the home city was the site of the convention. Uh, I have had the good fortune to attend. Uh, to go to Colorado Springs for a FEDEM conference back in 2007. That's uh, a acronym for a French term is inter, you know Fédération Internationale. De, anyway, it, it's a international medallic artist group, and that was uh, very fun, very cool. I can't I can't wait to go back to Colorado Springs not only to see the ANA, but um, I didn't get to go to Pikes Peak when when I was out there. Did get to go to a um, Air Force Academy uh, Air Force anniversary uh, concert that was that was being held because that was what the um, 60th anniversary of the Air Force at the time, 1947 to 2007. Uh, would love to go back. Um, hey, I think they even have a minor league baseball team there. Uh, there's plenty of reason to go to Colorado Springs. Uh, certainly add that to your travel list if you have not been there. So that's what uh, I love just seeing that reference. And certainly because the timing is such, you know, here we're talking about the Phoenix show, the national money show is that um, show has been rebranded for many years. Uh, that is about to take place or underway as you're listening, depending on when you click that listen button. So that's what I saw. What uh, What about you, Larry? Well, unfortunately, one of the letters is a critical letter, albeit probably not without merit, but uh, relating to shows, an experience that many have probably had in the course of attending shows. Uh, and this one is criticizing show promoters or criticizes show promoters. The letter starts off, I went to the Cherry Hill Capital Coin Show at the Hyatt in January on a Sunday. It was a three-day show. Now, keep in mind, this letter is from 1989. When I arrived at 1 p.m., there were about 20 dealers present. The other 105 had left on Saturday, along with the show promoter. The room in which the show was held was a garbage dump with litter all over the floors. I wrote the show promoter asking him why he'd left. One month later, I've not received an answer. I wasted two hours travel time plus gas and meal money. 
Is it any wonder why collectors don't show up at coin shows on Sunday? Naturally, the dealers blame the collectors. I also wrote the show organizer of the suburban Washington Baltimore show to see if the dealer would be there at this show on Sunday or if they would all take off on Saturday night. To go to the show would be a two and a half hour drive for me. One month has gone by and still no answer to my letter. Today, the Sunday, the 5th of February, I went to a local coin show in Willow Grove, Pennsylvania at the Fiesta Motor Lodge. One problem, no one was there. The show was advertised in major trade publications. Since Sunday is the day I have off, I guess there is no way I can attend a coin show, with two exceptions. Every June at the Cherry Hill Hyatt in New Jersey, Mr. Paul Cunningham puts on a token and metal show and insists that dealers stay on Sunday. I've attended this show, and believe it or not, all the dealers are there on Sunday. A big ovation for Paul Cunningham and the token and metal dealers. Also, there's a local coin show in Warrington, Pennsylvania, the fourth Sunday of every month that I go to, and all the dealers are there on that show on, Saturday, on Sunday when I attend it. That letter coming from Jules J. Block II of Huntington Valley, Pennsylvania. Certainly, we've seen that trend uh, continuing some 30-plus years later. It happens that way, and there are reasons for it to happen that way. And uh, this just knowing that, obviously, it doesn't please everyone. And I know that organizers have tried to take steps to make it better. Some are successful, some are not. It's just the nature of the beast. I mean, you pays your money, you takes your chances. I'm not saying it's right, but I'm saying that there are mitigating circumstances, especially travel and travel problems that we have these days. You can't allow for that because these a lot of folks have to be back on the bell at Monday morning and can't really take the time to travel cross country on Sundays. There's all kinds of reasons, excuses, whatever you want to call them. But each one of them is probably unique to their own circumstance. But that was uh, the letter from 1989 that caught on my attention. All right. Well, yeah, I know that it's an ongoing issue even today. Uh, something that I saw here at the St. Louis Numismatic Association show a few weeks ago. But um, I don't know that there, I think that's as long as there are shows, there's going to be uh, people that leave early, wholesalers that come in early and leave early and all that. Um, it is what it is. Now, I hate to use that tired tautology, but um, I will pivot here and put you to the test now that you've shared the thoughts about the shows from that reader back in the day. And I should note, I don't believe Paul Cunningham does that show anymore. <laughs> I don't think that that show exists. If you're if you're listening to this today, expecting to go to that show, forget about it. Yeah. Uh, Not happening. But uh, anyway, last episode, uh, because we had Carol Tedesco on, we were speaking about the Atocha wreck, and I wanted to know just how valuable that wreck has turned out to be. And, um, you know, it, it's it's been in the Guinness Book of World Records for most valuable wreck. So how many tons of gold and silver, approximately, did that wreck contain and how many pounds of emeralds? Why are you asking about emeralds? That's that's the thing that uh, that worried me about this question. Just because it the information is out there, they were on the ship, so I thought, why not? Mm, okay. Well, I guess that's just my way of saying I really don't have any idea because I've seen different numbers that have been offered up. 
for that. Don't know which one is the uh, the correct one. I mean, you see a lot of uh, the idea that, you know, these coins are for sale different places here. And uh, so it's just there's, there's a, a hodgepodge of what when I tried to cheat and look it up, I that's all I was finding. So I, I honestly for the either fourth or fifth time, I honestly do not know. So I am going to have to bear down and I'm really going to pay attention to this next question because I got to stop this losing streak. So tell me how many tons of gold and emeralds and emeralds, my birthstone. I should know this. Okay. Tell, so, tell me. So, you know, the, um, the number I see out in multiple places is that the ship was carrying roughly 40 tons of gold and silver and 71 pounds of emeralds. So, boy, wouldn't you love to get your hands on some of that? Not all of that, because, you know, it's long gone, dispersed and all that. But, boy, that would be so fun to see. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I have a couple shipwreck pieces, not from Atocha, from some other, you know, the common the common one with the British East India coin. I can't remember now. The name escapes me. And then another, uh, some silver shipwreck, El Cazador, I think. So anyway, uh, you know, you, you have a chance to redeem yourself. We, in speaking with Ben Swaggerty, we... We heard about a sport called Buskaji, which is a Central Asian sport in which horse-mounted players attempt to place a goat or calf carcass in a goal. And I, I mentioned that this, this sport is on a coin, and I even said the country, I believe. Kazakhstan. I think I, I think you did, yes. So what I want to know, in Kazakhstan, it's known as Kokpar, K-O-K-P-A-R, Kokpar, Kokpar. Um, there is a coin that shows the sport. What coin is it that shows Kokpar? And um, I can say I have that somewhere because uh, I lent the coin to imaging to Don for his uh, for WorldCoin Gallery's website and catalog. And um, it's, you know. It's it's not your uh, national pastime baseball or you know <laughs> it's it's not football. We had Super Bowl here not too long ago or football like that in Ted Lasso, but uh, it's it's certainly a different sport. But it's a sport, so uh, if you're collecting sports coins, you got to have it, right? That's it, right there. It's not going to be an Olympic sport for a while. That's for sure. Uh, probably not. Probably. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's the, the question. Here is the interview with Ben Swaggerty, Benjamin Swaggerty. And um, uh, check it out because there's so much fun with World Paper Money and uh, his service to the hobby and passion uh, hopefully comes through in this. Um, here you go. The Coin World Podcast is delighted today to get a chance to speak to and with Benjamin Swaggerty, the creator of and the contributor to the YouTube channel, Numismatic Notes with Benjamin. Thank you so much for being here today. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I have to say, you know, we we maybe don't talk about paper money and certainly world paper money enough on the Coin World podcast. So this is a chance to sort of rectify that. Uh, but I want to get into what makes it so fun and exciting. But before we do that, I kind of want to know, how did you get to where you are 
from there where you started. Um, I, I understand you started, I, I assume, like most collectors with coins, U.S. coins, maybe filling out um you know the the Whitman boards and all that. How did you get your start? When did you get your start? And um, then we can explore what you've all done on the paper money side. I remember very well how I got started. I was just like in the first grade in Elkhart, Kansas, and my father gave me a Lincoln cent and a Jefferson nickel holder, and I was underwhelmed to say the least, and thought it was a kind of a ripoff gift. You know, I was in the first grade. I was like, what? <laughs> <clears throat> Got a little plastic tube to put dimes in and everything. I didn't know how it fit together. I stuck it on my bookcase in my room and it stayed there for about five or six years with, with the occasional nickel stuck in. And then we moved to Oklahoma City. And when you've grown up in a rural community in the countryside, there's a whole lot to occupy you. And then you move into town and you don't have farm chores anymore and a boredom set in. And so I pulled out those folders and started going up the street to the gas station and buying rolls of coins, like I, I assume many collectors did. And then by the time I filled those um, folders that I had, I'd acquired a few more. And then we discovered the Oklahoma City Coin Club and I started attending it as a 12 year old. And that's where I got my, that's where I got my start very, very innocently. And in my mind, boringly with us circulating coins. <laughs> uh, but now, I mean, you were, you were telling us, um, in, as we coordinated to make this happen, that you are, uh, a national referee, I guess is the term for, uh, coins on the website numista.com for South Korea, Isle of Man, and Gibraltar. And you're also the master referee for the banknote side on Numista. Uh, how did you take that leap from boring U.S. coins of the same design and uh, <coughs> varied mint marks to uh, exploring, you know, South Korea, Isle of Man, and Gibraltar are, they're not exactly uh, the most common world coin avenues collected uh, and they're, they're certainly, certainly not neighbors of Oklahoma no definitely yeah. not yeah it'd be one thing if you collected all you know Canada Mexico okay you know sure. and and look I have plenty of coins of all three of those places so I don't disperse that at all I just how did you get from there to there how did you make that? well I well I actually did exactly like you just said I I started getting into Mexico and Canada because sometimes you can find those in circulation and in the in the late 80s, um, those nickel, copper nickel, one pesos from Mexico were in every vending machine to every vending machine owner's, you know, annoyance. So I was always getting those for free. And I just started collecting those. And I then I started collecting the I Canadian. Have to pause you. I have to pause you there because somebody who listens to the podcast, a friend of mine, uh, he has actually taken to using some of those in the cart thing at Aldi. Sure. Oh. <laughs> anyway, sorry. They were they were an exact, you know, they seem to be an exact exact size and uh, I guess a chemical component that let them, uh, I guess, be used widely in vending machines. And so my brother-in-law, when we were children, he actually owned vending machines and it, it used to just irritate him no end. And I, I just started trying to get them together as a date set, had no idea about any kind of catalogs 
for world stuff, just thought, huh, and just started saving them aside. And then they became more interesting because you had everything from circulation. I mean, I did. And this was back when the bicentennial coins were the only different coins you ever encountered in circulation. So it was becoming really boring, really fast. And um, then overnight, I discovered at the coin club, one of the dealers brought in a Charles and Diana wedding uh, 50 cent piece from Australia. And that intrigued me. And he gave it to me because I was just like a 12 or 13 year old. And um, then I discovered the Krause publications and started, I just devoured it. Uh, it, it. There's no rhyme or reason. I just started devouring it and going through it. And then I made other friends, you know, um, I was a YN in the ANA about the same time as Greg Lyon and Scott Rottinghouse. So we were all out at summer seminar together and I met people and just started branching out and never, never looked back. I collect South Korean because I used to live there after I became a teacher, I got a job there and uh, I collected from change there. So it was, it was kind of fun and it was as easy as collecting from the change here in the United States. Hmm. I ended up moving to Isle of Man and Gibraltar because I liked how you could get $2 crowns that commemorated weird events that didn't seem to have much to do with the islands. And uh, before you knew it, I had probably the largest collection a kid could have anyway here in, in Oklahoma. So it just went from there. So it then sounds like you developed this off of personal interest. It seems like you yeah. got into, uh, I mean, you know, a lot of people say it's the design, a lot of the history. Um, some even go as far as the culture, as far as the hereditary side of things. So it sounds like it was personal interest that got you into it. Uh, it that definitely had a huge component. And also back in the day, Everybody who was notable in the hobby always was telling the junior members, focus, focus your collection. Uh, if you don't focus, you're just going to be unhappy everywhere. And I took that as a challenge. And so I started collecting everything. Oh, I don't have that coin from Gibraltar. Oh, I don't have that coin from Sweden. Oh, look at this coin I just got here from Macau. So I, I just went ahead and violated every piece of advice that the the people who knew things in the hobby were giving the juniors. <laughs> well, that's interesting. It's very interesting because at a seminar at fun recently, it was like the, the advice was get a plan and don't try to collect everything. And I'm going, well, wait a minute. My plan is to try to collect everything. So that just yeah. kind of conflicts. So it sounds like you kind of had the very, very similar experience with that. How gratifying has this journey been to you? Uh, it was this journey to you as a young numismatist. It was very valuable. I went to the 50th anniversary Central State Show, and I was able to buy a set of coins that I had been looking for for about four or five years at that point. And when I got that set of coins, I was very depressed. And I realized at a young age that part of what was attractive in numismatics for me was the hunt. And since I only got to go to the occasional show and I lived here in Oklahoma, it was very meaningful and fun to source you know, the things that I like to collect. And so when I got my, when I got the, the set I had been wanting for forever, I was, I, I didn't know what to do next. And so that was probably the biggest shove towards collect anything that looks interesting to you. And so I started, I wouldn't say accumulating because I actually cataloged and uh, holdered and, and arranged all my coins. 
and no banknotes at that time because I was like, what the hell? Why? I mean, who who does banknotes? So it was just <laughs> completely coins at this point. And um, before you knew it, I had uh, hit the 200 country mark and I was going for the 300 country mark and just having little funds and little goals that I set myself because in my area of, of uh, the U.S., I think I must have been <laughs> one of the only ones who collected world coins because everybody else was still stuck in silver and silver dollars and stuff that were nice, but were really out of my league, you know, as a young man so, for the price. So, yeah. yeah. How did you make that transition to the paper money side of things? Was there a, a similar sort of letdown or was there a, you know, like, okay, I have found everything I, I want in this regard. I mean, obviously not because you're, you're still getting the um, great Aussie coin hunt coins. You're, you know, you're, you're buying coins today, but what drew you to paper money, this previously sort of who cares shrug shoulder type area? Well, it would, it would be a combination of, of A&A members. Um, we had a, a local show and Krause Publications set up a table at the show. And one of the guests of Clifford Mishler, who was at that table, was um, the president of the ANA at the time. And it was Steve Taylor. He was a noted paper money collector. And he was very kind to me as a young man at the show. And he used to just have little envelopes of Uruguayan banknotes that he would pass out to people because he collected banknotes of the United States and Uruguay. So I got a set of banknotes that honestly, <laughs> I, I was underwhelmed with. Um, they didn't really mean that much to me. They were green and they started with the U and that's why Steve had them. And because he had just met me and I was a YN, that's how I got them. And um, he came back to the ANA or the ONA show a couple of years later and my mom and dad had him over for dinner and he came over and when he came over, I pulled out the bank notes I had in my collection and <clears throat> they were rags. They were, I mean, they were pathetic. And Steve expressed his shock and dismay that I would even have such specimens in my collection. And so I was a little, <laughs> I was a little taken aback by that and decided that I needed to start collecting the best 50 cent bank notes I could find. And so, <laughs> That's probably the fairest way to say that's how I made that jump to uh, paper money at that point. And at what point, you know, you've talked a lot about being a younger collector and, and being involved uh, at the summer seminar and some of these shows. When did you make the transition from, you know, sitting in the seats of the class to uh, being at uh, the instructor spot? Oh, okay. Well, uh, it was 86 or 87 when I was out there as a, as a young man. And I took, I took a class with Arthur Fitz. He had a somewhat of a survey class on English coins and they were world. So I thought, Hey, that sounds great. So I took that class. And then um, a few years later, I moved to Korea. And when I came back, uh, ANA was looking for former YNs to help mentor and uh, chaperone newer YNs. And, you know, I saw some wisdom in that and I saw a free trip to Colorado to the summer seminar. So I spent another maybe 10 or 15 sessions at summer seminar as a chaperone. And um, over this time, I was able to take some classes with some hobby greats. And I noticed that 
near the end of the time I was chaperoning, uh, these hobby greats were dying and they were not really, there was nobody else stepping up to take their place. And I still see that in many ways. I mean, I still hear people talking about the greats that came before and there are new greats showing up like everything John Kralovich does. I consume, uh, I would call him a research great. And, um, but there's a lot of areas of numismatic where nobody has revealed themselves to be the next great. And I was naive enough to think that I can wait, I can wait 50 years for the next world coin great to show up. And nobody did. And I thought maybe if they don't show up, maybe I can be a placeholder until they do. So I stuck my hand up in the air and I tried to see if there would be some interest in, in what I was interested in. And there wasn't the first time I was in the catalog, it didn't take, nobody took the class, but they did the second time. And so, you know, I've just been out there doing my little thing and uh, trying to educate when I could. I created my uh, YouTube channel because I couldn't find what I wanted to see in a YouTube channel. So with a lot of terror and fear of technology, I started a, a YouTube channel and it's moderately successful and I'm able to contact and make contact with lots of people that collect coins and banknotes from around the world, not just Oklahoma. And we find a lot of times that a lot of the attention is focused on the items that we're collecting, the items that we're interested in. But I think what your story tells me here, the, the resonating theme that I hear is that your numismatic journey has basically allowed you to get a better understanding of who you are as an individual and what your interests are and the things that you like. Is that a fair assessment? That's fair. And in groups that I moderate and in my channel, I like to be very encouraging. Yes, some people show the coins that I absolutely am not interested in, but because of my background as an educator and because I like to mix and match themes in coins and banknotes and banknotes to other countries, I'm able to find something about what they like that I'm able to like too and encourage them to do the research uh, for their items so that honestly, I don't have to. <laughs> So uh, when did you start this YouTube uh, journey? Uh, I started it um, about three years, maybe maybe two or maybe three years ago. I honestly forgot because COVID was right in the middle of that. And um, I think probably between two and three years ago, it was the end of the it was the end of the year. And I thought I'm either going to do this or I'm not. And so I just took my phone and shot a really shabby looking video and put it up, created everything I needed to for free on YouTube. And, you know, two months later, I was happy to have 15 subscribers and it's just gone from there. Yeah. Now you have 821 uh, subscribers and hopefully you get a few more after this, uh, this episode drops. I, I love the variety of the videos, uh, if you look at some of what you've done recently, you know, whether that's the snow on notes, uh, battle scenes, um, you know, something as narrow as hibiscus flowers. Right. Uh, bananas. I love bananas. And so, you yeah. know, the, the bananas on notes, there's, um, you know, babies on notes, cows on notes, all that fun stuff. And as well, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, a couple unboxing videos, new notes or, the uh, great Aussie coin hunt uh, uh, coins. I, I will say I love seeing that you have quote unquote hardcore polo on there. Uh, <laughs> uh, I want to say that's on a, a 
coin of Kazakhstan, but tell tell uh, us about what what is hardcore polo and um, how can we collect numismatics that celebrate that? So I joined um, I joined Numista around you know sometime in in uh, maybe ten years ago, maybe six or seven years ago, maybe it hadn't been ten, but I joined them and you know. European collectors sometimes have more fun than U.S. collectors, and there was a bunch of silly stuff in the forums. Who can who can name a banknote with the Viking on it? And so then everybody throws up a banknote if they have one with the Viking on it. Or who's got a banknote with a Model T? You know, and so they just try to do this stuff. Well, um, it came up. Uh, about this polo and it was actually a game called Buskaji, I believe. I'm not going to promise you that that's pronunciation because I am from Oklahoma, <laughs> but um, it, it's on a bank of Afghanistan. It's on a banknote of Afghanistan and it's the only banknote I've found with that vignette. And I do think that I have seen it on a coin as well, but you know, uh, Afghanistan was always interesting to me because they are also the only banknote country that has people riding yaks so i mean there's some weirdness you know out there if you just open your eyes and take a closer look at the vignette and so i took a look at that and i was like what are they playing and then yeah they were playing with the body of a goat you know they have a little goat without its head and legs and they're slinging it around the field and they're playing some hardcore bushkazi and and I thought if I label my video Bushkazi, nobody's going to know what that is. But if I call it hardcore polo, people know what polo is. So maybe they'll make the connection. And then in the video, I tell them how, you know, it's actually called Bushkazi in Afghanistan. Yeah. And um, that's pretty much it. Well, I'm not going to be contributing any more to this. I'm busy writing a note to the Bureau of Engraving and Printing about how we need more currency with people riding yaks. So uh, <laughs> yeah, if you don't hear from me for a while, just trust me, I'm uh, I'm editing that. But uh, it sounds interesting because it, this sounds like a subject where you literally are not going to ever run out of ideas. No, I'm not. And I can contribute it to me not taking the advice of uh, numismatic bigwigs to focus my collection. Everything in my videos are banknotes that I own and have in my hand. And so the way I've collected has provided me with days, if not hours, worth of uh, research uh, pieces and puzzle pieces that I can put together in any number of ways for videos or um, exhibits. So it's almost like asking if you have a uh, you know favorite child, but do you have a favorite note among your collection that uh, really inspires you or that you go back and look to for inspiration on occasion? Yes, my favorite banknote in the world is from Jersey, and it's the hundred pound piece that commemorated the Diamond Jubilee of Queen Elizabeth II. It was um, a large denomination note that Jersey had to pass a special law to even make the note legal. And then it was the very first image of Queen Elizabeth II that was um, created as a hologram. She actually sat in the middle of a room and they had a train track of cameras around her and they took uh, multiple thousands of images that they put together and made this 3D portrait, which hangs somewhere on the island of Jersey to this day. They took that amazing portrait and put it on a purple banknote to commemorate her Diamond Jubilee. And it is it is a magnificent note. That and a Winston Churchill note from Gibraltar. Uh, 
if if a tornado came again, and that's a very real possibility, I would try to take those two notes into the shelter with me. <laughs> those are two great notes for sure. I remember writing about that uh, Queen Elizabeth note back in 2012. And of course, uh, gotta love Sir Winston Churchill on banknotes, everything from the five pound uh, current note in the UK to the 50 pound note that you referenced. I think that's the one with the, the airplane on the back. Um, well, there's a whole squadron of planes on the back, and you know it has to do with that unit being um, stationed in Gibraltar and created by um, Eisenhower, and so it was very, very prominent in World War II. So it's very, an interesting note. Very fun. Well, it sounds like you've uh, you've had a quite a varied experience with this. Now, I want, before we go, I want to find out you. You actually uh, made your hobby, uh, your profession for a while. When were you with Atmex? So um, <clears throat> when I was in university, I was still going to the coin club and a, a little shop opened up not too far from me and I got to dabble in it. And I say dabble, it wasn't really for pay. Um, I got to help him catalog his coins and banknotes for uh, the the high price of getting to take a couple of them that were interesting to me. So from there um and spending time in the Oklahoma City Coin Club uh one of our one of our members over time uh, developed a a shop in Edmond Oklahoma that just became bigger and became bigger and then it became Atmex and I was able to go there and and work for a while and help um with some of their first world coin and banknote listings and Part of my duties were to source these items and get them listed and write descriptions in such a way that people could find them when they got online. And so I was interested in uh, the search engines at this point because it had never really been something I paid attention to. But I started paying attention to the words I used in my descriptions and my titles. And I try to use that same knowledge today with my YouTube channel. And while I didn't end up staying at Atmex, beyond my first two years or so. I, I value the time I spent there getting to work in their computer system and getting to travel to that Berlin show one time and, um, you know, sourcing materials for the website. It was, it was a good experience. Very cool. It's, it is a great show, as you know, and, um, you know, you've, you've shifted though. Um, you're a teacher now uh, as your career. But you're also a teacher through the channel, and I think that's what's really cool. And there's so much to learn through numismatics, whether that's coins or paper money or whatever else. So uh, we thank you for sharing that with everybody on YouTube and, and with, uh, with us today. Well, I'm really glad that you guys uh, called and wanted to have this time because it me it's very meaningful to me, and I love, um, I love a captive audience. <laughs> Awesome. And that was our interview with Benjamin Swaggerty, who has a YouTube channel, uh, something like Banknotes with Benjamins. Um, anyway. Numismatic Notes with Benjamin. Numismatic Notes, thank you. Yes. And, um, you know, we thank you for hanging in with us another week. Hopefully you enjoyed it as we enjoyed bringing it to you. And make sure you cast your vote on who you believe should be part of our most influential in 2023. We do appreciate all the support we get and welcome your suggestions as well. And uh, keep listening. Tell your numismatic friends to keep listening. If you're going to the shows, hope 
that you have a uh, productive opportunity to enhance your collection or continue to grow your community and meet like-minded individuals who enjoy this hobby so very much. So in the meantime, happy collecting. Thank you for listening to the Coin World Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week. Coin World Plus is your new way to collect. Manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins, and much more. Learn more about Coin World Plus at coinworldplus.com or download the app now at Google Play or the App Store.